thank you for your word in your name. Amen. So here's, here's the warning. And again, this is maybe the best New Testament straightforward warning and truth about hell. And so here it is, the warning. God will judge and eternally punish the individual who rejects Jesus as Lord. That's the main point. Now, there's a lot in there, and we're going to unpack that. But, but God will judge. Hell is real. Now, this is not a manipulative tactic. Right? This isn't a roundabout. This is kind of straightforward. Here's what's going to happen. This is like the warning to a kid. If you touch the stove, your hand's going to get burned. I mean, there it is. That's going to happen, right? The kid that goes, other people might get burned, but not me, right? No, you're going to, touch, you're going to get burned. You know, he is a, a good father who wants us to do what he wants, and so this warning is true. Now, here's the first question. Look at verse 26. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Who is this person? Right, who is this that, that goes on, it says, sinning deliberately? You know, we already learned, especially as we looked in Hebrews 6, a person cannot lose their faith. The way you interpret scripture is through the rest of scripture. So if something is confusing, right, you might need to look at the rest of scripture. And so one thing that's very clear through Romans, and again, the rest of the New Testament, is you cannot lose your salvation because you didn't earn it. If you earned it, you could lose it, but it's a free gift of God, so we cannot lose it. So it can't be that. So who is this person? Well, it's, it's really one of two. It's either the apostate, um, which would be the person who is part of the community and willfully walks away, right? They say, I'm done. I, I don't believe in, I want nothing to do with this. They leave. Or, and it looks like this could be the person in the church, in the community that stays but is willfully walking in sin, right? So they're, they're again, as it says here, they're rejecting really God's definition of sin and walking in the way that they want to go. So it's not as much the apostate, but the person who is not surrendering really to Jesus as Lord. And I would call this person Christian adjacent because they're part of the community, and we read the New Testament, and this is very possible for somebody to be in the church but not surrender to Jesus as Lord. You ask somebody, are, are you a Christian? Yes. Why? Because my family's a Christian. Because I go to church. Right? Somebody that's Christian adjacent. This person has the knowledge, meaning they've heard the good news. They've heard the gospel. You were born in sin. Bad news, right? Hell, bad news. You're born in sin apart from God. God, in his love, sent his son to die for you. A perfect sacrifice for your sins, right? To complete the Old Testament, to complete the sacrificial system. Then he rose from the dead for you and you surrender to him. You can have life eternal. That's the good news. They've heard this and they reject it. Now some, again, as you look in the book of Matthew, some within the church will think they're good and they're gonna stand before God and say, didn't we do these things in your name? He says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? So again, I would call these people Christian adjacent, they're, they're part of the community. They think they're good. But if we're honest, and, and really this person can be honest with their own heart as they look at this passage, if they're in really or out. Now, willful or deliberate sin we see here is proof that a person's not a true believer. Does this make anyone nervous? <laughs> right? I mean, the way this is phrased, deliberate. Uh, Kayla, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. In church, and Kayla wisely afterward, isn't all of our sin deliberate? 
right? I know what's right, and I know what's wrong, and so I choose to do what's wrong. Isn't that deliberate sin? And maybe you've experienced this. I believe in Jesus, and I know sin, I know right and right, and I choose to sin. I must not be saved. And I've had this conversation with many people throughout my life, and I've had this too. Like, I know Jesus, and I did this? There's no way I could truly have the Holy Spirit. Is that what this is talking about? If so, that is really, really scary. It helps for us to understand what this word deliberate means. So deliberate doesn't mean on purpose. It means really a rejection of of God, a rejection of Jesus' definition and going your own way. It's a lifestyle of sin. It's disagreeing with God. So it's the person that says, God's word says this, but I'm smarter. God's, God's word says, right, sex is reserved for one man and one woman in marriage. I know better. I'm going to do it this way. That is deliberate. Right? And there's many other sins. You can go down the list, right? I, I know God's word says that I'm going to go this way, materialism. I'm going to pursue this. Uh, again, he's writing to Jewish believers. And so Jewish believers, they knew the Old Testament. And this is one of those places that they would go where this is kind of a, a parallel. And so let me read Numbers 15 And this is God, again, to the Jewish people. Here's what happens with deliberate sin. So here's what he's referring to. Numbers 15, 30, and 31. It says, but the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. The key word on there is high hand. Right? And that's what deliberate means here in Hebrews. It's the high hand. It's this. Right? It's doing this to God. Eh, right? You say, no, I'm, I, I know better. I, I mean, it's an arrogant posture. It's not the person who, I know what's right and I know what's wrong and I, I stumble with what's right, right. I struggle with this and sometimes I do it repeatedly, but I know what's right and, I want, right, and I'm wrestling with that. Welcome to the struggle. Right? That is the, the, the street fight of sanctification. If it's you, if you feel repentant for your sin, even though you might continue to struggle with it, that's not this person, okay? This person is the person who says, I know God says, but I reject what he says, I do it my way, right? Or even try and reason around what the Bible says, and that's happening all over right now. Oh, I'm gonna, the Bible says this, but that must be cultural, or, you know, it's been translated, you know what I mean? There's this manipulation around it, that's, that's deliberate. Um, and what's it say in verse 26? There no longer remains a sacrifice. What's that mean? For the person with a high hand who rejects Jesus' lordship, there is no sacrifice for their sins. The person who refuses to repent of a lifestyle of sin and submit to Jesus does not receive the forgiveness Jesus offers. Because he's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to forgiveness. That's going to come out again in a minute. Verse 27 is a quote from the prophet Isaiah speaking of judgment, right? The, the fury of fire, right? Hell is real. Now, maybe you've heard a good God won't send people to hell. Or even this, I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. That is putting yourself over God, right? I know more than God if I'm going to say I reject what God says about judgment, heaven, and hell. But now he's going to give us reason. So hell is real, 
and this author is good enough to go, now let me actually reason with you a little bit. If you're one that says, I don't believe a good God will send people to hell, let me explain to you, and he's going to give three reasons, why it's actually just and right for God to allow the person who rejects him to be punished in hell. And uh, he goes to verse 28. Verse 28, he says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved, see, deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? So he gives an argument here from lesser to greater, which is the argument he's been giving throughout Hebrews. Jesus is better. Here's Moses. Pretty rad. Jesus is better. Here's the law. It was good. Jesus is better. Here, under the law... There was punishment for idolatry and rejecting. And so that, that's what he's saying. Even though there was punishment there, Jesus, God in flesh, came, revealed the Father, died on the cross. That's better. So back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 17, this is exactly what he's referring to under the Mosaic law. Deuteronomy 17, 2 through 7. He says, if there is found among you, Within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his, transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them or the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven which I have forbidden and it is told to you and you hear it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is true... And certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing. And you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses. The one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Idolatry is the issue, right? This is, idol this is somebody who, who says, I reject the one true God and I'm going to worship something else. Sun, moon, it, that's idolatry. He says, if you're one of God's people, say, I'm part of God's people, but I'm doing this, they're put to death. Now God has come in flesh, Jesus so that's what his point is. Isn't it reasonable that if that person would be put to death, that there is eternal punishment for the person who rejects Jesus? It makes sense. God is righteous to judge because the person who rejects Jesus, and then he gives kind of three things. Here's the first one. Tramples the Son of God underfoot. Right? God is a good judge, and it is right to judge the person who rejects Jesus because that person is trampling the Son of God underfoot. Again, the Son of God, God in flesh, deity trampling underfoot, walking on over, right, wiping your feet on. I know better. I'm going my way. I reject trampling on him. That's kind of a big deal, right? Th this is the, the idea of utter disdain. And let's be honest. Most people are not neutral about Jesus, even those who claim to be Christian, right, or, or yeah, whatever, when you get down to it, they're not neutral about Jesus' lordship, right? You get into the morality, right? People are, are not neutral. They're either for Jesus or they're going to go their own way. And going your own way really is trampling the Son of God underfoot. And then number two, 
The person who rejects Jesus as Lord, right, who goes their own way, is treating as unholy the blood of the covenant. Treating as unholy the blood of the covenant. So Jesus died on the cross. That's the blood of the covenant, right? It's that blood that cleans us. This person is treating that sacrifice as unholy. They are saying Jesus' death is not good enough. And it's the only way, right? When Jesus, before he went to the cross and he's praying in the garden, he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He knew he was going to take the sin of the world on his shoulders. And he said, can we do it another way? This is going to be really bad. And, and the father, we don't see his answer, but his answer is no, this is the only way because Jesus did go to the cross. So the person who says, I think there's another way, they're saying this only way that God and the son, the father and the son together said, this is the only way. You're saying that's not the only way. I know better. Referring to his blood as not good enough. And then three, insulted the spirit of grace. Right, the spirit of grace. What is grace? Grace is a free gift, a gift not earned. We have the grace of eternal life. We don't earn salvation. That's grace. And the spirit of grace he is giving, I, I, I love you, right? A good father, I love you. I want what's best for you. I've died for you. And I, I'll just give it, insulting that spirit. Nah, not good enough. Don't want it. You look in the book of Mark and you see Jesus when he's casting out demons. And some are saying, oh, he's casting out demons by the demons. He is a demon, right? That's kind of that, the same idea. It's, it's parallel to that, referring Jesus' work to evil that is insulting the spirit of grace. This is blasphemy. Again, here's his reason that judgment is valid. So if you ever meet anybody that claims to be a believer, they're like, but I reject the idea of hell and judgment, come right here. <laughs> it's really plain, it's really simple, it's really clear. You cannot believe God's word and reject the idea of eternal judgment based on these verses right here. And he finishes in 30 to 31, if that wasn't enough so far, right? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Fear judgment from the all-powerful, holy and righteous God it is inevitable for the unbeliever. Okay, can we move on? Um, remember, God wants something for us. God wants something good. He wants us to endure in our faith so we avoid this. So now we get to go to the good stuff. Now he's going to move on to encouragement or reason. Again, we want somebody to do what we want. There's the threat of punishment. And then there's the reason, and that's what he's going to move to next. What is the reason? Look at verse 32 to 34. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Right here, he, he moves again to reason. Don't walk away. Remember God's faithfulness and your own endurance from the past. That's what he's saying here. Remember. So these recipients of this letter are being persecuted. And they're being persecuted 
because of their association with Jesus, because of their association with the church, they're suffering for it. But he's saying, you've suffered this way before, and he's probably uh, looking at the dating, he's probably referring to the, the Jewish Christians who were expelled from Rome. So there was a persecution in Rome, and all the Christians there were, were basically kicked out. Anything they owned was taken away. I mean, real persecution. He's saying, you went through that. You had your property taken away. Some of you were imprisoned. Some of you took stuff to your friends in prison, right? You, you went through this suffering together, and it was hard. You did it. Now we're going through it again. Look back. You endured. You can do it again. It's kind of that idea, right? Remember. I think of the parable um, of the soils, and, and there's only one good soil out of all the good. There's the hard soil. There's the weedy soil, right? There's the shallow soil, uh, and that shallow soil is one that springs up and looks good, but he says, but the worries of the world and the troubles make you, you burn out. That's, that's the threat here. That's the warning, right? You're, you're being persecuted, right? Identifying with Jesus is costing you, and you're tempted to walk away. Don't. Remember when you endured in the past. And actually, next chapter, is, and we're going to go kind of a next series for the next three weeks, looking at chapter 11, uh, the heroes of the faith. All of next chapter is looking at other people who did endure. He's like pointing to other examples. They did it. They did. So all of chapter 11 is the reason we see here. Remember, look back. You can do it. So when tempted to walk away, again, this is in your notes there. We already said it. Remember God's faithfulness and your own endurance from the past. The idea here is really in the valley, right? If you've been a Christian very long, you've experienced this. High points, low points. And in your low point, you feel awful because you're like, what's wrong with me? I used to be high, now I'm low. Honestly, there are seasons. <laughs> and, and this is a natural part of life going up and down. And in the low point, who will we trust? Will we trust our feelings? You ever had this counsel, do what makes you happy or do what feels right? Worst counsel, <laughs> right? Never listen to that counsel, never give that counsel. Actually, let's do what glorifies God. And in the valley, when we don't feel it, we remember what's true. Right? We look at God's word, we remember who God is, and we remember, we look back, and he's saying, look back at what God has done in the past. That's a good reminder to help us endure, remember. The writer of Psalms uh, writes in Psalm 42, when he's going through a valley, and actually we were just singing this uh, song, right, speaking to our soul. The psalmist does that right here. He speaks to his own soul in Psalm 42. During a valley, during a low point, tempted to walk away, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love that. The acknowledgement, there are low points. There are times where you feel far from God, but God's right there. And you can remember what he's done in the past and remind yourself, no, he's still good, and we'll get back there again, right? Um, ideas of, of depression. You know, sometimes there's depression, and that, that can be very real. And going through that, but it, it can be temporary, and, and you can have hope. Again, looking forward, remembering what he's done before. This is one of the reasons we have a baptism wall out here. And I love in the mornings seeing people walk down that hall and, and look. You know, and there's a, it's a reminder. May, and maybe you're on that wall, and you're going through a heart, and you go out and look. No, I remember that high point. I remember that commitment. I can stick it out. Maybe you're on that wall baptizing somebody. 
oh, I remember that time God worked. You know what I mean? So we, again, we remember. And today we have baptisms, so that's exciting. Um, but these people, this is important. These people are suffering as a result of publicly identifying with Christ and the church. That's why last week, the, the passage Ben looked at here in the same chapter, he says, don't forsake the gathering together. Don't stop getting together, because that's what they're doing, right? We're suffering if we get together, we're going to not get together. Or we're too busy in life, we're doing these other, no, get together. School. Those of you in school, you, uh, you ever see that Christian that's really open and, and honest, and they're suffering for it, others are making fun of them? Do you stay quiet? Or do you publicly identify with that person, right? You come along, nope, actually me too. So if you're going to pick on them, me too. I mean, that's kind of this idea, right, of staying identified with Christ and with the church. Again, here's the question. Are you a Jesus follower or are you Christian adjacent? Do you have things to remember? That's my, do you remember falling in love with Jesus? Do you remember your heart stirring to love what he loves, to desire obedience? If you don't, go back to the warning and maybe there's a chance, like, okay, I need to look at my heart. Do I belong to him? Or am I just Christian adjacent if I have no memories? If you do have those memories, write them down, hang them on the wall, right? Look at them as a reminder. Now, finally, the writer is going to go to the reward. Again, parallel to parenting, right? You had discipline for your kids. You also had Rewards. We had a, a box um, that we would put in our room up on the dresser, and it was full of, like, trinkets. Um, and it was a prize. At the end of the week, right, if you don't bite anybody all week, you get a prize out of the box. That was Elise. Um, or, or, or the, right, we had the things for each of them. If you don't do these things, you make it, you get a prize. So a promise of reward, yay. Um, well, here he talks about the reward. Look at verse 35. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls Here's the reward. Again, the promise. Verse 37, you see, he, he's coming, right? Jesus is coming back. The king, the one who owns everything, the one with all the rewards, he's coming back. And so we wait for him. We endure until he returns or until we go to be with him. But we endure because there are great rewards for faithfulness. We don't shrink back. And what's the reward? Now, there's elsewhere where we do see rewards for faithfulness in this life. Right? There will be a judgment for believers where rewards are given. Right here, though, the reward is kind of one specific thing. And we see it in the last verse, verse 39. We are of faith who preserve their souls. It's the great reward, eternal life. A soul preserved for eternity. It's the exact opposite of eternal judgment, eternal separation from God. It's eternal glory. When Christ returns, Scripture makes clear we're going to get new bodies, glorified bodies, Bodies that aren't sick, that aren't, don't get COVID, that don't break down. New bodies in him where sin is removed, that is the great reward, eternity with him. And we don't have a full picture of what that's going to be like. But we do know, looking at this, we trust, we will have that reward. And so again, he, he puts that up. We can endure, we look at verse 34, we can endure when we have an eternal perspective and keep our eyes on our eternal possession and home. 
Verse 34 again. We go back a little bit. It said, you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Here it is. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's an eternal perspective. An eternal possession. We're looking forward to heaven which really is a physical kingdom on a new heaven and new earth. We're looking forward. We can't wait. And we live in light of that. When we suffer here, we look forward to that. We can consider the sufferings of this age, the sufferings in this life, as momentary light affliction, as Paul writes, as we look forward to the glory to come. We keep our eyes on the prize. So, sum this up, right? He wants us to do something. Endure till the end. Why? Because judgment's real. Do not walk away, right? If you're here, you're, I, I'm debating living in sin, right? And God won't care. He will too care, right? I, I'm debating just walking away. Trans- don't. Judgment's real. Remember endurance. And if you don't have any remembrance, right, you don't have those memories, maybe today you need to surrender to Jesus as Lord. Look at others' faithfulness, right, as a reminder, as a reason, and then you can develop some of these memories. And then third, look forward to the reward. When times are tough, we look forward to that reward, What's our next step? We put this on here. We try and do this each week, you know, some kind of next step for for each of us. And here's what I put. Identify something earthly that's pulling you down or threatening to pull you away from Christ, whether it's sin, materialism, right, a a, a broken relation, whatever it is, what's pulling you away, confess it to God and someone else. Confess it to God and someone else because this threat to pull us away is real. The way we avoid it is being honest about it and coming together in community. That's why being together is such a big deal. Now, we get to do baptism. So we have one in this service. We have a handful in next. Um, we wanted to, to kind of update you because we've had a question recently about baptism. Uh, who can baptize? Sometimes we've had friends and other people baptize. And the question, wait, isn't a pastor the one who baptizes? Um, and the answer to that is No. Uh, scripture really gives very little instruction about the person doing the baptism. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, uh, we see Peter and the apostles, the, the disciples, preach a sermon. That day, 3,000 people are saved, and they're, they're cut to the quick, it says, right? They hear what Jesus did. They're like, oh, what do we do, right? We believe. What do we do? He says, repent, turn from your sin. We already saw that. Repent and be baptized. So those are the two things. But it doesn't say, but be baptized by this one and this one, none of that. Uh, in the Great Commission, in Matthew, it says, go therefore, and, and we view this as to all Jesus' followers, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So what that means is we are all called to make disciples, meaning share our faith. We are all called to help teach others, and we all have the uh, authority Uh, and honor of baptizing someone else. Now, here at Common Ground, we had to wrestle through this as elders and kind of put it down, who can baptize it? And here's what we kind of landed on. Any believer can baptize somebody else, but first, they ought to look at their own heart. Can the person that they're baptizing look at them as an example of godliness? Not perfection, because none of us are perfect yet. But And can that person take a little bit of a role in the discipling of the person they're, they're dunking? Right? Can they hold them accountable? Can they lead him into God's word? And if this person doing the baptizing is willing to kind of fill that role and be that, we say, great. Um, it's not just a, a pastor. In fact, I love it when it's not a pastor. <laughs> I love it when it's not one of us, when it's somebody involved in the life that's so much better for the person being baptized. So with that in mind, Abby, come on up. 
And who, who's going to baptize Abby today? Hold on. Let me, uh, let's go up here so everybody can see you really well. Abby, who's going to baptize you? My brother. Whoa. So, again, I'm going to give you that. Now, this is kind of cool, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, Donovan and Abby both have expressed uh, nervousness of being in front of people. And so, um, everybody just turn around and face the other way. Uh, for their, no. But it's okay. It's okay to be nervous, right? This public declaration uh, to speak in public, but yet that's what baptism is. Baptism is a public declaration of an inner surrender to Jesus as Lord, and Abby has done that. And so scripture instructs us, this is actually our first step of obedience to Jesus as Lord. And so we're going to turn this over to Donovan and Abby. Go. <laughs> you have a question for her. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Do you believe uh, Christ rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. She said yes. Yes. <laughs> Are you willing to follow the Lord, willing to let him be in charge? Yes. Awesome. Climb on in. Do you want to take your shoes off? Yeah. So in Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those are the questions Donovan just asked her, right? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? Yes. And are you willing to follow him as Lord? Yes. Those are the two main questions someone needs to answer before they're baptized. And your shoes are off. Excellent. of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Awesome. Yes. So you see, it's not that hard. Y'all can do it too. Now, we're going to Continue to worship, and we're going to take communion. Uh, communion is our time to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection, looking forward to him coming again. Uh, communion is for believers. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, this is for you. And this is a time, again, for you to remember. And so take a minute, uh, as the music starts, take a minute, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, maybe there's sin in your life something unconfessed, a relationship that maybe you need to reconcile or take a step in that direction, uh, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. If he does, then confess. Confess that sin. Uh, we have our prayer walls. You can come write a prayer, maybe even a confession on those walls. But then as you're ready, just come up. There's three stations, one, two, three, gluten-free in the back. Um, and we take the bread and we take the cup. And when we take the bread, we're remembering Jesus' body broken for us. He suffered and he died. He was beaten to the point he was unrecognizable as a human. And he did that for our sins. When he died on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. And as we take the cup, we remember that sacrifice. But we also remember his resurrection. When he rose from the dead, that was the father saying, accepted. I accept this sacrifice. So this punishment that we see in Hebrews, Jesus already took it. So we can get the reward because Jesus already took the punishment 
for us. And so taking communion remembers that, but also looks forward. It's hopeful. Again, all right here in this passage, he says, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me until I come again. He's coming back. And so there will come a day when we don't take communion anymore, when we don't baptize anymore, because we will be in perfect relationship with him and with one another. So we look forward to that. Now, uh, do this at, at your own pace uh, during this next song. I'm going to be right up here by the baptismal. If you're here and you have never placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, or you say, I have, but I've never been baptized. I need to take that step of obedience. You can do that this morning. And we actually have some sweats. You know, we have extra clothes. If you get dunked, you don't have to leave drenched. Um, but if you think today is the day for you to get baptized during this next song, please come talk to me. Let's worship.
so much for coming. Drive safe. Have a great day. Hey Kyle, Kyle, we're doing four on that.